In a minute, we're, we're nearing the end of our season in this series called Do You Really Believe? We're, we're going to get to that this morning. Um, we're going to have a message this week and the next two weeks, and then we're going to take a pause on that. We won't get all the way to the end of the New Testament, but we will finish that in the future, whether it's in the new year or a certain other time. We always have a Thanksgiving service, which we'll be doing that weekend, and then we'll move into an Advent series um, as we look forward to remembering Christ's entrance into the world. But our Thanksgiving series is what I want to mention, or our service is what I want to mention in the past, and we will continue to do this element as well, is a part of what we like to celebrate when we get together on Thanksgiving weekend um, is to offer some thanks back to God and actually give you all, all of us together, a chance to do that as we worship and receive and share communion together is to actually give you a moment to write down some of the things that you're thankful to God and offer that back to him as an offering. Um, there, there's, a, there's a biblical basis in the Old Testament um, in the worship of the Jewish worship. There are lots of different kinds of offerings, actually, if you keep track of it. There's lots of different tithes. And the reason why they gave them was an expression of worship to God. And a thank offering is one of them. Another opportunity that we're going to give you is to think through, and I'm saying it now so that you can think ahead, because this is the end, at the end of the month you'll have an opportunity to do this, is not just to express your thanks to God by writing down and remembering, but actually giving some money as an expression of thanks to God. Now, it's not going to go to Cottonwood. We wanted to figure out a way that we could pass on something that, as a church, perhaps if you've reflect on your ear and you think about this is how I'm thankful to God and I want to express that to God and I want to do that as a way of just offering something back to him. We have two organizations that we're going to pass the thank offering, the financial aspect of it, on to. One of them is Stable Days Youth Ranch, which you guys know about. Many of you, Ben and Carol Lester, who many of you know um, have been longtime members um, at Cottonwood, started a youth ranch quite a few years ago where they um, have animal programs and gardens, and it's just continued to expand to try to offer services to youth. Something special can happen, and actually this was the inspiration of that ranch, is sometimes people, it doesn't have to be youth, they are focused on people, but focused on youth, but sometimes people who have a challenge either emotionally or a mental health block, I've, I've, I've done some reading recently on trauma and healing from trauma, sometimes what can unlock someone's healing pathway is that they're not interacting with another human, but they're interacting with another being that responds to them emotionally, that has no capacity for judgment, and that can be the thing that opens their healing. And that's part of what they do at Stable Days Youth Ranch. Um, the other group that we're going to be partnering with is Love in Action, which started as a ministry of a church friend of ours, Gospel Outreach Ministries. Used to be right down the street. It's a, a Spanish-speaking church right now. But they started a ministry many years ago out of their church, and it has since spun off into a, their own separate nonprofit. And what they seek to do is to meet physical needs and spiritual needs in the community. And I know a number of you, actually, there's a number of you that volunteer at both of those groups in our community. And so what we want to give you a chance to do on Thanksgiving, so you can be praying about this, is to just offer thanks to God. But another way to express that is to give to others, which will pass all of that on to others. There'll be a way you can just give a special envelope. You can put a gift in if you want to give a physical gift like money or a check, or else we'll have, uh, if you give uh, electronically, there'll be a on our giving spot, there'll be a checkbox that you can say for the love offering for this year or the Thanksgiving offering. So I want to just announce that, let you know. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. So you can be thinking about it way ahead of time. 
Okay, here's the message this morning. Do you really believe that you are in a spiritual battle? Do you really believe that? So last winter, you can take that slide down. I'm not ready for that quite yet. Although we're going to repeat that about five times this morning, so it's fine that it's up there. Last winter, I, was, I got a phone call. My wife was here at the church building. Um, uh, a habit in our churches, I usually, or in my family, is I give my wife um, Monday or Tuesday evenings to do whatever she wants, and then I stay home, cook food, and maybe run errands, and read books to my kids, and she just does whatever she wants to do. Well, she decided to come here to the church and have some quiet time alone. So she's reading in my office, because it's quiet here, and uh, it started snowing, <laughs> before she left, but it got heavier and heavier, and so by that she drove her minivan in here, and so by the time she was ready to leave, there was like six to eight inches in the parking lot out there. I kind of knew it was snowing, and I was like, are you sure you want to go into town? It's supposed to snow a lot. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Well, I got the phone call. She's stuck in the parking lot. <clears throat> I got new tires on her van since this happened. This was, uh, it caused some changes, but they're a little older than they should have been. She literally just couldn't back up in the parking lot. I need help. Okay, I ripped off my shirt, revealed the S on my chest. I went into superhero mode. I'm going to go rescue my wife at church in the snowstorm. Talk to my kids. You guys are right with the younger ones. I don't remember who was home exactly. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get, when my adrenaline gets activated, not all of my neurons make the right connections. <laughs> and uh, I didn't let my truck warm up. I just turned the key. I got a four-wheel drive truck. I'll be able to get through the snow for sure. I'll be able to get her out of the parking lot for sure. So I didn't really let it warm up. I just went out, turned it on, went outside, got my stuff, a few shovels, put my snow gear on. I'm breathing a little heavier by that point in my hot snow clothes, in my now pretty warm truck. And my windshield, you know what happened, it fogged up. <clears throat> it wasn't warm enough. So I'm driving in seven to eight, maybe now 10 inches of snow on our roads. And by the way, our roads didn't get, don't get plowed. Wait, we got two miles of gravel, they get plowed a like a day and a half later than all the other roads. So I'm driving, I'm kind of driving down like this. I think I can make it. I'm not going to speed because that would be dangerous, but, you know, I'm maybe probably going a little bit faster than the conditions allow. I can see the first intersection. We get to the intersection, and I think I'm fine, and I'm, I go through the intersection, and then before you know it, like, I'm right in the ditch. <clears throat> the hero is in the ditch. Yep, got the S on my chest, so that's good. If I had only waited a few minutes like probably five or seven minutes to let my truck warm up. If I had only driven a little more slowly, if I'd only been a tiny bit more careful and not in as much of a hurry, I wouldn't have ended up in the ditch. Here's my sermon in a sentence this morning, if you'd put that up, Angie. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle that requires us to stay alert to prevent being enslaved through one of the enemy's, our enemy's deceptions. Staying alert, seeing clearly, being careful are more essential in a spiritual battle than doing that in a snowstorm. 
Staying alert, being careful, seeing clearly. And the ditches that we end up in, or can end up in, are far more dangerous and problematic for our souls. Now, I have another four-wheel drive vehicle. I was able to pull my truck out with a whole bunch more sweat than I was hoping to have. Um, We got it out eventually. My kids were so happy to help me with that. They're so thrilled. (coughs) Thank you, Dad, for letting us do this with you. No. They did do it. Um, But we got out of that ditch. It wasn't that big of a deal. But the ditches that we can end up spiritually, if we're not careful, we can get stuck a lot longer. They can cause a lot more trouble in our lives than being stuck in the side of the ditch in a snowstorm. Here's today's verse, Colossians 2, verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Be careful. You and I are in a spiritual battle, and this verse would tell us, and we're going to see, that this battle is mostly fought in the realm of of lies and truth. It's mostly fought there. There's lots of other expressions of the spiritual battle. I'm not going to, we could do, we probably would need about six or eight weeks to do a whole series on spiritual warfare, and maybe we'll do that because there's a lot of good passages. This morning, we're really focusing just on this verse, and I believe this verse shows us that the battle is mostly in the realm of truth and lies. Actually, even all the rest of spiritual warfare, it's really mostly in the realm of truth and lies. Here's the first point this morning. Be careful. That's where it comes from. It should be in yellow up there. Be careful. Here's the first point. We have to remember, if we're going to really believe we're in a spiritual battle, you and I have to use your eyes. And I picked that phrase for two reasons. One, it's, it's more a literal translation of what be careful means. Sometimes you'll see that said, watch out. Or see to it that no one takes you captive. The reason why the translations can be so different is because the words that are used specifically do have to do with looking, like actually perceiving something with your literal eyes. But we know that the context of that phrase is a warning. Watch out because of potential danger. Here's the second reason I'm using the phrase use your eyes. Because I am told that with regularity every month. Here's how that happens for me. I am in the office looking for my car keys on one of four hooks. There's one hook, that's where I usually put my keys. There's a second hook, that's where my wife puts her keys. There's a third hook, that's usually where the other car keys go. And there's a fourth hook, which is like a huge, generous jumble of all these random keys. Probably we need to throw half of them away, but I'm not really sure what they go to, so I can't quite throw them away yet. Where are my, has anyone seen my keys? I know none of you ever have that problem. Has anyone seen my keys? And I will get the refrain back almost every time. Use your eyes. Use your eyes. You know what that phrase means? It means don't look where you think the keys should be. Actually look where the keys could possibly be. I usually put them on hook number one, but once in a while, I think I put it on hook number one, and then I put it on hook number two, and then someone else puts their keys on top of hook number two, and my keys are hidden. I am not using my eyes. Can I get an amen? 
Okay. This could be your keys. It could be your, your favorite cereal. I'm looking for the box of cereal with red letters, but they changed it to green letters, and I can't see it. It's like right in front of me. Use your, use your eyes. Use your eyes. That's why I'm using it. Has anyone seen my wallet, my running spikes, my laptop for school, that book I was reading? This is now not just me. This is everyone in our family saying something like that. And they're more than likely going to hear, use your eyes. And that's what this verse is trying to get at. We can go through life looking at stuff in the real physical world as well as in the spiritual world, but not really seeing it. The connections are not being made. And the stakes, as I said, are a lot higher than losing a set of car keys. A lot higher. Rather than using our spiritual eyes, we're kind of like driving down a gravel road with 10 inches of snow on the ground with our windshield fogged up, and we can sort of see a little bit, but we really can't see all of it. Here's the theme. Really, this verse could have been a theme for this whole series. Let's use our spiritual eyes to take a closer look at some of these verses and truths that we have said we believed for years and ask the question, do I really believe it? Do my values reflect it? Do my choices, are my choices impacted by this truth? Are my relationships changed? Are my thoughts reoriented because of what I believe? Here's the sermon in a sentence this morning. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle that requires us to stay alert. That's the first part. Use your eyes. Stay alert to prevent being enslaved through one of our enemy's deceptions. Be careful, use your eyes, that no one takes you captive. That's where we're going to start the next part. No one takes you captive. First of all, use your eyes. And I'm really talking about your spiritual eyes. You and I have to be alert. We have to be on the lookout. We cannot go through life in a fog or with a fogged up windshield. Actually, those tools that were mentioned this morning, the Bible app, version, which is what the official name is called, we know it as the Bible app, that can help us to get alert because we're in, tapping into spiritual reality. So then when other things happen in spiritual reality, we're able to see it more clearly. So can right now media can help us to stay alert because we're activating our spiritual life in a way that helps us to pay attention to the rest of life. <clears throat> Here's the problem, guys. If we don't use our eyes, we might not actually even believe this second point, which is very, very true, and here it is. Slavery is a real possibility. You probably know that there are more actual slaves alive today than at any point in history. Slavery is not a thing of the past. There are more slaves in the world today than there has ever been. And I'm glad that there are people who are passionate about that, trying to put an end to slavery and human trafficking. It's always been a part of human history, by the way. Almost as long as there have been people, there have been other people trying to make slaves of them. Almost as long. This isn't talking about that kind of slavery, though. This is talking about spiritual slavery, which there are many, 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 many more spiritual slaves than there are physical slaves in the world. And unfortunately, probably everyone sitting here has been 
a spiritual slave at one point or another, or maybe is right now. Slavery is a real possibility, and it's a possibility whether you are in Christ or whether you're trying to find Christ. By the way, so this applies to you. If you have been following Christ for a while, our hope as a church is to help people find Jesus, to escape from spiritual darkness, from the slavery that keeps them in bondage to themselves, to the flesh, and to the world, and to be set free in Christ. However, I've got to lead, read you a verse If you've experienced that freedom once, let me just tell you, just like other forms of slavery, it takes effort to maintain freedom. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that's written to Christians. That could be written to us. You've been set free in Christ. Now stand firm and do not allow yourself to be enslaved again. That's the problem is we can get enslaved again to and through a lie. That verb, that, that phrase, if you'd put that verse back up there, Angie, be careful that no one takes you captive. That phrase takes you captive. It really just means a Greek word that's tied to a slave trader who goes to another area, kidnaps some people, and sells them into slavery. See to it that no one does that to you, the Apostle Paul is writing. Do not let yourself get kidnapped and taken into slavery, sold into slavery. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 is another verse that talks about this kind of slavery. And it says this, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Now, I'm going to say that living according to the flesh sometimes in the Bible means simply living according to your selfishness. This kind of means that, but it also means physical reality. Our war is not a physical reality. He says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical of the flesh. Only they're powerful through God to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against God, the knowledge of God, and here's the captivity part, and we take captive, who knows it, every thought to make it captive to obey Christ. We take captive every thought. So here's the reality, guys. Slavery is a real possibility. You and I have two choices. We will either be taken captive by deceptive thoughts, i.e. lies. We will either be taken captive by the power of lies or we will take captive every thought to make it obey Christ, to make sure that it's in line with the truth. Those are our two options. You're either going to be make, made into a slave or you're going to make your thoughts a slave to Jesus. Those are just two options. That's it. One or the other. And if you're not doing the one, guess what's happening? You are becoming a slave. You and I are becoming slaves. Okay, we're going to move on in the verse. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than on Christ. Okay. Now, I'm going to pull out my nerdiness here for my third point. Your enemy is Trixie. 
Trixie, not Tricky. If you've seen The Lord of the Rings, you know what I'm referring to. And if you haven't, a part of your discipleship needs to include seeing The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) We should maybe have a class on that. The Lord of the Rings is an epic uh, series of novels written by J.R. Tolkien, who was a brilliant man who didn't just write a book, but created worlds, multiple worlds, literary, fictional worlds. And he does so in The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings, one of the main characters who's sort of a hero, but isn't really the hero, but ends up being the hero in one way, surprising somehow, he's involved in making everything right. Gollum is the enemy, and he's the one that says, Trixie, He, he believes that Sam and Frodo, who are hobbits, they're the real heroes of the book. In my opinion, Sam is the superhero of the book. Talk about that later. But he thinks they're getting tricked, and that's because the whole book, the whole world that Tolkien creates surrounds a ring of power. And whoever has the ring has the power, but the ring is tricksy. It deceives you. It makes you think you'll do something good with that power, but it corrupts you into doing something bad and you don't even realize it. And Gollum has been completely tricked by the ring. The problem, you know the problem? So Gollum actually thinks that Sam and Frodo are the ones being tricky, but he's actually the one that's been tricked. Do you know what the problem is with being deceived? You don't know that you're deceived. You don't know it. When we watch a movie, we know who's deceived. Gollum's the one that's deceived. And even in moments when Sam and Frodo fall for what the ring is kind of telling them, we say, like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Because we get, like, the view of God in a movie. But in our lives, we don't get that view. We're just in our lives. And you and I, you and I have an enemy that's very willing to deceive us. Our enemy is Trixie. And just like the ring of power... In Lord of the Rings, he's really powerful. He's not more powerful than Jesus, not even close. But than us, he's a lot, he's powerful. Now we have all Christ in us, we're going to end with that. But he is a powerful enemy and he's very tricky. So let's just look at a couple phrases in here. It says, part of this says, See to it that no one takes you captive. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world. Some translations actually will say based on elemental spirits of the world. And that's because there's really two views of this phrase elements, and it doesn't matter to me what view you take. One of them is that it's just talking about like the basic elements that make up the world. And this would be sort of equivalent to someone who has a purely scientific evolutionary perspective that the only things exist are the physical qualities, the things I can taste, see, sense, and touch. So sometimes philosophy is based on that. Basically, there is no spiritual world. That's a really good lie that many of us can actually, even though we say we don't believe that, we can live like we believe it if we're not careful. That's one version of that. The other version is that in this time, those elements of the world, so, it, okay, I don't know how many have seen this, but if you're a Disney fan, you might have seen the, word, seen the movie Element, or is it Elemental? It actually isn't that good. Sorry, I didn't think it was that good. If you loved it, please tell me why you loved it, because I might have to look at it again. <clears throat> so it's, it's basically the, the four elements, earth, wind, 
water, and fire. In, Greek, in the Greek philosophy, those are, the, those are what made up the world. But in some versions, they, had a, they were sort of personified as spirits, even evil spirits. So even if we're talking about just no spiritual world, or we're talking about evil spirits are everywhere in the world, both of them have the power to deceive us. Both of them do. Here's another important, here's how tricky Satan can be. And by the way, if you haven't read this verse in the Bible, you might have to look it up later. I remember the first time I ran into it. I said, That's really in the Bible? What? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He makes himself look like something really good. Let me, let me tell you a couple of lies where I think we can be prone to believe it. I'm gonna, and we'll end with that. And by the way, we could do an eight-week series on lies we're prone to believe. So these are just a couple. Here's one. I'm going to call it. I'm going I'm to give you a title for each one, and then I'm going to describe it a little bit. Rugged Individualist Christianity. All I need, all I need is me, my Bible, and Jesus, and I'm good. You know what? There's some truth in that. You've probably heard some stories. I've heard many stories of people who are all alone, and they find a way through it because they depend on Jesus, sometimes even without a Bible. Like, I've, if you read Richard Wormbrand, who started the organization, uh, The Voice of the Martyrs, who was imprisoned for years in Romania, figured out a way how to get through that in solitary confinement with Jesus. <clears throat> it can happen. There's some truth in this. We, Jesus is big enough and powerful enough to get us through solitary confinement. But do you know what the Bible actually teaches? That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Actually, if it's me, my Bible, and Jesus, I'm going to read some things in there about how God's best is in the New Testament. You can find about 50 of different ways that we're supposed to interact with other followers of Jesus. They're called the one another commands. So I could say me, my Bible, and Jesus, but guess what? I can't do the one another's. Who am I going to do that with? Me in the sand on my deserted island? Maybe make up my own like Tom Hanks you mentioned earlier this year. Wilson, the volleyball guy who's not a real person. We, 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 it's sort of true. It's sort of true that we don't need anything more than Christ. But if we stay there too long, we begin to ignore other parts of what the Bible teaches, of what Jesus teaches. God exists in relationship, friends. The Trinity, which has never used that word in the Bible, but that's what we, how we've described it because what's revealed in the Bible, even from the very first book, Genesis chapter 1, God refers to himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image. That's plural language. God exists in relationship from the beginning, always has, as the Father we see revealed, the Son in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> relationship with God's people is essential. Don't be careful. God disguises, Satan disguises himself like an angel of light, like one of God's, in the presence of God, he looks, he looks, it looks so good. Now, different times in your life, you might be prone to that lie. Here's another one. Moralistic 
therapeutic deism. Ever heard of that phrase? Of course you haven't, because you don't read weird books like I do as a pastor. <clears throat> There's a book called Soul Searching. It was published in 2005. Boy, that should be really out of date by now. It's written by Christina Smith and Melinda Denton. They did a study on what teenagers believed in 2005. But guess what? Where those teenagers are, if you were a teenager in 2005, guess where you are right now? You're sitting right in one of those pews out there. Lots of you. Lots of you are in the millennial generation. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. I'm going to tell you what that means. Moralistic, be good. Therapeutic, feel good. Deism, God's good. It's actually more like theism, but deism sounds better. They just went with that phrase. Here's what the five beliefs of this study came out. Now, this is really, you, you guys, we have fallen for many of these in ways that we don't recognize because we're deceived. We're self-deceived. We need God to wake us up. God exists. He created the world, and he watches over us. That's true. That's true. As long as it's not only that, but... Another belief that these teenagers had, and it's most of, a lot of you guys out here, I'm sorry I'm speaking to most of you because I know there's a lot of you out there. God wants people to be good, be nice, and be fair to each other. That sounds kind of okay, right? I mean, that's, that stuff's in the Bible. Primary goal of life, this is where it gets a little bit less Bible-oriented, is to be happy and feel good. God isn't involved or needed in my life except when I have problems. I call that hip pocket Jesus right here. Pull him out of my pocket whenever I need him. Put him back in when I don't want to think about him. Number five is good people go to heaven when they die. We can, we can end up believing some of the truth and we miss the whole truth. Jesus does not belong in our hip pocket. Pull him out when you want him. Good people go to heaven when they die is kind of true. I'm kind of a devil's advocate type. I love to argue. So it's kind of true. But it's only if you have the pure holy goodness of Jesus who lived an absolutely, completely not a shadow of any darkness life applied to your account that you get to go to heaven. It's not like sort of good and a little bit bad and a little bit more good or maybe a lot more good or only a couple of things I, can true, I really consider truly bad and because for that I'm going to... That's not what Jesus, the Bible teaches. It says, Jesus says you can take... Your, you can get to heaven on your own efforts... Or you can exchange your efforts for my performance. That's what the Bible says. Now that's a long ways down the road. And moralistic therapeutic deism is one of those, it feels really nice to think that way. And it sort of feels really simple. But guess what? It's an empty life. It's an empty life. It's empty. There's a reason why younger generations have high anxiety levels high mental health issues, high levels of depression, high levels of suicides, because that life is empty. And the enemy has deceived us. Us. I'm not talking about them, by the way. I'm talking about us. You. Me. We've bought some of these lies. 
We're in a spiritual battle, friends. Here's what verse 9 and 10 say, and I have to read this out of my Bible because I didn't get it on the screen. We just read verse 8 like four times, so I'm not going to reread that again, okay? Oh, I do have it on the screen. Wow, I remembered. That was good. Awesome. Verse 9 says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of the creator God of the universe lives in Jesus. All the fullness of God is revealed in Jesus in the flesh. So that defeats the lie of like only physical realm. This is all the fullness of God came into the physical. Again, that's a miracle. We're going to celebrate it at Advent. It's a, it's a lovely transforming thing to think about for a long time. It takes a long time, a lifetime to think about. But spiritual goodness and perfection comes together in physical reality. That's what that verse says. And here's verse 10. That's more encouraging than verse 9. If you're in Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in bodily form. And you have been filled by him who is head over every ruler and authority. And just so you know, ruler and authority, almost always that's talking about spiritual powers like demonic forces in the New Testament. Not every time it can refer to actual physical rulers and authorities like governors and magistrates and presidents and council members, but it usually is referring to powerful, malevolent spiritual beings. Jesus is over them all. And if you have Jesus in you, you have the power of Jesus over all those evil forces. Here's how you and I can experience victory Jesus' brother, half-brother, James, wrote a book in the Bible. James, creative title. We call it James. Usually all our, all our titles in the Bible are really clever. <clears throat> whoever, was, wrote the Bible, whoever wrote it, whoever was written to. James 4.7 says this. Here's how you do it. First of all, you submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God, the one who is and has all the power. Secondly... Resist the devil, and I love this next part. Guys, you don't have to fight, necessarily. You might feel like you do, but James 4, 7 says, if you submit yourself to God, if you yield yourself, surrender yourself fully to God, submit yourself to God, then all you have to do is resist the devil, and because Jesus is in you, the one who has power of all over all those rulers and authorities, he will flee. He's a chicken. Honestly, guys, he's a chicken. The key is that we have to submit ourselves to God, fully submit ourselves to God so that we're full of Jesus. And then when we resist and we come against a lie, against a temptation, the enemy flees. That's the way it works. Here's my sermon in a sentence, and we're going to sing this song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. That's who it belongs to. Let's stand up. I'm going to say this one more time. Go ahead and stand. Friends, we live in the midst. Band, you can come on up. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle. You and I live there. That requires us to stay alert. We have to pay attention. We have to use our eyes. We have to be careful to prevent being enslaved. We're at risk of being enslaved. We either are going to be enslaved to lies or we're going to take lies captive and make them obey Christ and be a slave to Christ through one of our enemy's deceptions. It's really, really, really hard to see when you're deceived. We need God to work in our lives. Sometimes we need God to work in our lives through another person. By the way, by the way, by the way, guess what? I can see your the way you're deceived really, really well. 
and you can see how I'm deceived really, really well. But we have a really hard time seeing where we are ourselves deceived. And that's part of why we need other people to help us see you to help me, me to help you see where we've been deceived. Because our enemy is tricky. Let's close in prayer and then we're going to declare this song in our hearts to God. The battle belongs to him. I will be right down there after the last song if you'd like prayer for any reason. Any further prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who is powerful over every ruler and authority. Every single one. We recognize, we choose to believe that we live in the midst of a spiritual battle. Lord, we, we sometimes go through big parts of our lives without ever even thinking about it. Just do, do my chores, do my work, go get groceries, take my kids to their activities, all that. We're not thinking at all that there's a spiritual battle going on. Lord, help us to stay alert. Open our eyes, use our eyes. Help us to realize we're always at risk, if we're not careful, of being taken captive as a slave. Lord, help us to see that you're the one who can give us victory. You're the source of victory. Help us to do battle, to engage in the battle, to submit ourselves to you, that when we resist our enemy, that we might experience victory and freedom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.